And a welcome to another edition of Swing Thoughts, the golf podcast slash radio show here on TSN 1150 and around the world. You can download this program on iTunes. Uh, we have a uh, around the world connection. Welcoming back. Actually, it's very interesting today. Our guest is the quickest anyone has ever returned to our show. We'll tell you all about that. Uh, with me, as always, is the uh, mental performance coach at the Glen Abbey Golf Academy, Tim O'Connor. Uh, I'm Humble Howard from the uh, legendary Humble and Fred show. Why is it legendary? Because I say it is. Uh, in the meantime... It's been on for a hell of a long time. Yes. You know, we're brought to you by TaylorMade and Adidas. Have you had a chance to uh, go out and, and play that uh, TaylorMade uh, driver? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's M5. Uh, <laughs> it's, I love it's that something thing. else, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, what I like about it is that I can work it both ways, uh, and you know, I don't lose like 20 yards when I hit a fade. It smacks out there. You know, I, I can imagine. Here's the thing for the the am, other other of us amateurs uh, listening. When it comes to tailor-made technology, that twist face, it isn't just a great marketing ploy. What Tim was saying about no loss of distance, whether you cut it or not, but what I like about it is how how much you can miss it, and it still goes somewhere. Absolutely. Like, like it's Absolutely. almost like, because you'll hit one, you're like, oh, it's probably not going to make that. And you're like, what? Why is it still in the air? Uh, anyway, that's tailor-made. Of course, Adidas with some of the finest shorts, shirts, shoes. Make sure you check it out, Adidas. And uh, we're happy to have uh, them part of this program. As well, I got fitted with a, a fitted. I got hooked up with a, uh, a, a range finder from Bushnell. Uh, I never had one before. I got to tell you, it's bizarre. Did you, you know, just pace it off before you like, I used do to, stepping yeah, around there? I did. I want, what I would do, as you know, <laughs> being the old caddy, I would go and I'd walk the golf course and I'd take my measurements. You did know, you have, like the wheel? Did you go there with the wheel? Yeah, I had thing? the wheel. You know, I, I left golf for about eight or nine years from 2003 to 2013. When I left golf, nobody I'd ever seen had a rangefinder. When I came back, everybody has a rangefinder. Now, in amateur golf, they're legal. Like when you guys do university stuff, are, are, are the participants allowed to use a rangefinder? Yes, but they have to turn off the slope measurement device. Thank you but for everyone's out there doing their thing. I wanted to thank you for that because uh, I have a, I've never had a rangefinder with slope, and free people don't know what we're talking about. It will tell you not only the distance to the hole, but it will take in and reconcile whether it's up or downhill and then give you that number, which is illegal. So I've just decided to never turn that on. So my yeah, question, I mean, so you can have it, you just can't have it turned on. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, as I mentioned, um, I guess it was about two or three weeks ago, we had our friend uh, Charles Fitzsimmons, who is a uh, fine university uh, player, Ph.D. candidate, uh, has the distinction of having uh, uh, dragged me around in more than one uh, partnership uh a golf tournament, but recently he and you participated in the Canadian University College Championships. And before, just before we get Charles back, Timmy, just explain what that is, where it was, and who it's involved with. 
Uh, yeah, it was at Fire Rock Golf Club uh, just outside of London, Ontario uh, last week. Um, the top teams in each of their various conferences, we are in the uh, Ontario Conference, the Ontario University Association. We finished fifth in the championship, so that that qualified us for that. Same thing happens uh, west, east, etc. So basically you've got the best university and college teams come together for two things one is a team championship but also an individual championship and uh i want to quickly note that uh our team uh, the university of guelph State, we did really well uh we finished eighth in canada we feel really proud about that uh, but also our individual female player um i'm gonna take a minute here because it was Hollywood, man. Well, hey, Tim, um, just let me just read. Why don't you tell the story of Sarah after we do Charles? That'll be oh, okay. All right, all right, fine, fine. All right. Don't don't pout, Tim, because it's really un- unbecoming. Uh, okay. um, no, because it's because I want you to take some time. But we have Charles for a few minutes, okay. and then and then you yes, can tell. That makes sense. Yeah, you can tell the story because it's amazing what happened to one of Tim's players. Tim, uh, just in case you missed that, is the coach of the Guelph Griffin golf team. And uh, he's been with them for a couple years. The team is doing amazing. But there's a great story of triumph and uh, and have some of the players. Uh, Victory. And uh, amazing. Uh, but first I thought we would, because he's on, yeah. a, the reason that is that our guest today is on a holiday in Ireland uh, playing golf. But last week he, I think for the first time, won the individual play. He is the Canadian University College champion. Please say hello to Charles Fitzsimmons, everybody. Charles. Well, Thanks there. for having me on, guys. Great to be back and to uh, to set that record for the fastest guest return uh, right. in uh, podcast history. Absolutely. Uh, hey, congratulations. Now, why don't you uh, you guys talk about the tournament? Charles, you may talk about maybe how long you've been a university player. Does this Is it more meaningful because this might be your last one? I think it kind of has to be going out on top, you know, as they uh, they always say in sport lore, that's the way to go. So um, this has actually been my 13th go around, which is far and away a record. So it's uh, um, pretty special to potentially be able to go out on top like this. Yeah. And, and for me, Charles, having known you for uh, a few years, uh, it was just awesome to watch um, that. And also, I was trying to imagine what it was like for you, not only as playing as an individual, but also playing as a team. That's part. Of, that's part of the specialness of university golf is you're playing on a team. And I thought, given that you're a sports psychologist, you're a good player, uh, that it would be really there'd be a lot to gain in terms of just exploring, you know, what was going on for you um, as as you went through that. So. Maybe share with our listeners what it's like in terms of of taking care of your own game, trying to win a tournament, but also playing as a as part of a team. It is uh, a unique challenge in, in in team university golf. It's it's something that you don't experience in in pretty much any other form, other than say something like a a Ryder Cup or something like that. So it's it's a unique challenge in that you know every shot that you might miss or, or give away impacts yourself and your teammates and it, it, it adds an extra level of of pressure and distraction that if you're not quite sure how to deal with can really really mess with you so it's uh it was certainly an adjustment for me i mean obviously many many years ago but it's one of the biggest issues we have with with young players when they come in is 
um, basically feeling like they need to go above and beyond and, and can't make any mistakes because it's going to hurt the team uh, more so than their own game. And, you know, honestly, what it comes down to is just being able to say, okay, I'm going to take care of my part and that's kind of all I can do. And I'm just going to hit as many great shots as I can and whatever happens, happens. And so that kind of attitude of, you know, acceptance or pre-acceptance that we've maybe talked a little bit about before is uh, is really the key where it's just, you know, roll with the punches and then jump in there and hit as many great shots and add it all up at the end. Now, we may have touched on this phrase. I, I've been using that phrase for a while, the idea of pre-accepting that whatever is about to happen in your golf, well, you're going to be fine with it. But maybe explain that a little bit. Like, that's such a part of a, a, your mental sort of toolbox, Charles, the idea that standing over a golf ball, you've already done all the calculations, you've done the think box part, now in play box mode, you want to just be as free as possible. And yet, at the highest level of university golf, it's easy to say it here while we're having a nice warm conversation, but out there in the field, it's a different feeling. Yeah, very much so. And I think, um, you know, a really interesting part, I think, comes from actually a tournament that I played right before the universities and and I had my uh, my girlfriend was out watching us on the last round and I really really wanted to win and and uh, I was just really pushing really hard and I, I missed a couple of putts I could really you know could have made down the stretch that would have not helped me to win but would have put me in second and I was really frustrated and I kind of showed a lot of emotion out there because I wasn't accepting of not finishing well and uh, and it actually impacted my performance down the stretch. And so she and I were talking afterwards and really realized that, you know what, I, I need to get back to being more accepting out there and just kind of being able to say, you know, I'm going to shoot the best score I can, and if that's good enough to win, that's great. And if not, I'll be okay. And, and uh, you know, going into the university championships, I really just said, you know, I'm going to go out there and just hit as many great shots as I can. And if there are some tough ones, I'm going to just make sure that, you know, I've kind of called my shot, my, my process goals that I have, and then just kind of make sure I'm okay with whatever happens. That's the idea of pre-acceptance, and then step in there and let it fly. And uh, obviously, it worked out really well. Interesting how even uh, someone like yourself, good player, you're, 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 you're a sports psychologist, and even you, sir, <laughs> are mortal enough. I was going to say the same thing. To have that stuff happen to you. Well, before you answer, Charles, yeah. Charles, this, but Tim, I was going to say to you, Timmy, isn't it amazing that as tough a game, that shows you how tough this game is because of all of what you just said. you got a guy that's a high-level player who also works with other high-level players, and even Charles, because the game will frustrate you. That isn't the point. It's not supposed to never make you mad. That's not what the show is about. I think sometimes people mistakenly think that we're going to be able to talk you through golf in a way that you'll never get pissed off again. That's not the case. It's how you deal yeah. with that. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, the number one rule I always saw with, say with clients is golf is hard, right? And, and rule number two is see rule number one. <laughs> That's and, right. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's just... It's, it's just such an incredible game that way and uh, to try and think that you're always going to enjoy it or that it's never going to frustrate you is just kind of crazy it's 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 obviously going to happen and the more you can kind of roll with those punches the the better off you are and uh, it's just such a neat thing that way so Charles I'd like to kind of take us into the brain of Charles Fitzsimmons if you will as you're coming down the stretch there in the uh, on the fourth round, your guy, you guys are going up against University of British Columbia, 
you know, always top players in, in that event. Um, what was going on for you in your mind as you're, you know, coming down the stretch, maybe it's on 17 and 18 in terms of what were you thinking about and what were you feeling? Um, because there was a lot at stake for you personally and as a teammate. Yeah, it was um, it was actually a very surreal experience. I had worked so hard on kind of getting myself to this place of acceptance the whole week. Um, I just kind of had a feeling like good things can happen, and even if they didn't, I-, I was okay with it. And so I was kind of fighting myself a little bit in the last round, and, and uh, the guy I was playing with from University of Victoria was four or five under early in his round and actually took the lead from me at one point. And I kind of just, you know, kept doing what I'd been doing all week, which was just, you know what, I'm going to just keep hitting great shots and whatever happens at the end, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. And um, actually something really interesting happened on, on 17, I stepped up on 17 T and uh, one of the coaches from, from a different team from actually team Ontario that I work with, the head coach Reggie Millage was there watching one of uh, a former player of his, who's on the Western team, Jackson Bowery, who, he and I had to go into the playoff for the individual title. And I, I asked him what just happened. And Jackson just made a birdie on 17 to, to go to eight under and take the individual lead outright. And uh, I went, okay, cool. Well, I got to now hit a try and hit a great shot and see if I can make a birdie somewhere in these last two holes and see if I can get to eight under as well. And, and I hadn't hit a lot of great shots. And I just said, you know what, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm going to just really commit the heck out of this shot right here. And I'm just going to believe totally that, this is the shot I've got to try and play and whatever happens happens. And, and I just hit this awesome cut five iron to about four feet out of nowhere. Like I hadn't been striking it all that great. And I just, for whatever reason said, you know what, I need to hit a cut here. I've been trying to hit little draws all day and it wasn't working. And I just, I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm going to try and hit this little cut. And, and it was just the, the best shot of the day. And, and I was fortunate to kind of make the putt on top of that. So that was a, a really, really cool experience. But again, it was just kind of being okay with whatever's going to happen. So Charles, for so as we've said, you're you're an elite player. You're one of the best amateurs in Canada. You just came off winning the national championship. Um, for an average person, what does it mean in terms of that commitment that you talked about? Um, really, it's just being able to say whether or not you know, regardless of your skill level, if you're fear, fearful or uncertain about what's going to happen for a shot is going to cause tension and it's going to distract you from just being able to actually potentially execute the swing that you you're trying to execute. So if you're not totally certain that this is the shot you're trying to play, then you don't even have a chance, right? right? The old saying in golf is it's better to be committed to the wrong shot than to be uncommitted to the right shot. And, and basically the idea is, is by being committed by just saying, yep, this is the kind of shot I'm going to play it frees your body up to actually have a chance of making that correct swing, executing that correct technical move to execute that shot. And if you don't, well, so be it. But if you've got doubt and tension, you don't even have that chance in the first place. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times I think the feedback that I get is, oh, yeah, that's easy for you guys or you because you already know how to hit a whatever kind of shot. But I I would say even at a higher handicap level, somebody with a 15 or a 20 handicap, you're still better off if you have a pitch shot of 20 or 30 yards. And you may, the, the, the two things quickly, you're better off to at least have some intention of target. I'd like to hit it there and have it go there. 
then what most amateurs do is they are continually thinking of how to hit the shot up to and including the second they try and hit the shot. There's a point in every golf you know, moment, if you will, where you've got to stop trying to remember how to do it and just go and do it. And, and trust the fact that you that somewhere within you, you can move a club that hits the ball to that spot you've picked out. I think um, I think an interesting kind of analogy comes into play here. I mean, I think most people at some point in their life have thrown a ball back and forth, right? And inherently, you know where you're trying to throw that ball to the other person. You don't have to be Tom Brady to know that you're trying to throw it to the other person. That's right. And you don't have to have Bill throw a spiral like him, but you still know for sure exactly where you're trying to throw that ball. And you basically trust that your arm's going to take care of it. It's the exact same thing. You don't have to be you know, the best in the world or the best in Ontario to do it. You still have to know where that target is and just let yourself basically do it. Yeah, but in, in using the uh, analogy of throwing a ball, like you, know, you don't continually judge your, your technical ability to throw something. Where in golf, we're continually critiquing or, or judging whatever ability we have. And, and as you said, when you're doing that, it, it takes away all natural body motion. That you, you just have to trust at some point that whatever level you're at, you're still better off thinking about where you want the ball to go at the moment of, of play than continually trying to think about how to make the motion. Yeah, without, without a doubt. Timmy, what were you going to say there? Without a doubt. Yeah, sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, I, I just thought that, um, well, I'd like to pick up the thread of the story, if you will, a little bit more. Uh, so you came off 17. Did you make birdie there? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I made I made a birdie there and, and uh, uh, knew that I was tied for the lead, and I knew that UBC had posted a really good round, so I knew we were kind of tight for the, the team lead as well. And there was a, a little bit of a backup on 18, uh, so it was quite uh, quite interesting to just kind of have to get to relax there for a moment and uh, just kind of soak it all in. But again, you know, there was some nervousness, but there was also just a sense of this is the shot I'm going to hit and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It was kind of a case or a kind of moment and uh, away we went. So what did happen? 18 comes and you're tied. So you birdie 17, you're tied for the lead in your head. But when do you find out yep. what was, how did it shake out on the last hole? Well, I, I hit a, a great tee shot on the last hole and I actually thought I, I hit an absolute dart into the last hole. I couldn't quite get committed, but I, I thought I hit a really good shot in there. It came up a little, you know, on the green, but a little bit short. And I had a, I don't know, 30 or 35 footer up the hill for birdie. It turns out if I had made that putt and I left it, it was in the jaws about a foot, a foot and a half short. But if I had made that, we would have won the team championship and the individual championship right then and there. So that would have been uh, been really cool. And I'd kind of imagined that a, a lot throughout the week and throughout the months preparing for it. So it was, it was you know, I hit the putt and I, I looked up and I was like, oh, that could go in. And it, it came up just short, which was a little uh, disheartening because I kind of had that feeling like something cool might happen. But uh, um, came off the green and found out, yeah, in fact, we were tied for the team championship and tied for the individual championship, which... Uh, I'm not sure if that's ever happened, and we ended up having to have a, a double playoff, which was uh, a really, really incredible and, and interesting and unique experience that uh, was conflicting and bittersweet and, and uh, a very, yeah, very unique experience. Yeah, I was wondering how you were able to maintain your focus because of all the stuff, and there's a lot of drama there too. Uh, one of your players um, missed a very short putt 
on 18 in front of everyone there. Um, you know, that obviously hurt your team there. And then in the playoff, another one of your players missed the tap in. And so there's all this kind of drama going on. Um, so were you aware of this stuff going on? And, and if so, how did you keep your focus? Um, I didn't, I didn't know about the short putt until after the playoff. Um, I did hear some clapping up ahead in terms of the UBC and stuff uh, going well, but honestly, what it what it was was the same as the whole week, which was whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I just need to figure out a way to to be in this moment. And, and certainly, there was times, you know, on the, the the playoff, the team playoff, I was the fifth guy out, so we had to sit there on 18th tee and watch four other groups play the hole. So you're sitting there for like half an hour waiting to go play. And that was quite something. So there was definitely some times I was using some mindfulness skills there to just kind of stay present and, and be engaged with the moment. And then I just said, all right, let's go and, and you know, pick that target and kind of go through my process and, and execute a couple of shots. And I was I was fortunate enough that that went all right in the team playoff and, and obviously went well in the individual playoff to be able to uh, to wrap it up. So in the end, Carl, the title. you won the individual title. The team won the national title. The team finished second. The team finished second. Okay, and you won the and you won the individual. Yeah. So yeah, UBC um, played a, a really incredible last day, and and just you know, you know, hats off to them. They shot twelve under as a team, which is just absolutely incredible. And the the rough part about it was I had to play a teammate in the individual playoff, and and he was absolutely incredible getting us into. You know, he shot a sixty seven in the last round that even got us into the team playoff. So um, that was kind of a, a bittersweet moment to have to go up against a teammate in a playoff like that. All right, well, now we need you to put on your sports psychology hat. If you actually have one, I'm guessing you do. It's probably cool. Um, yeah, it'd be just, like a fedora? Or uh, a- I'm just going to say maybe a pork pie hat because he's kind of a hipster. Um, so, <laughs> Charles, yeah, it's, it's actually a wizard's hat. It's like uh, yeah, Harry exactly. Potter. Stars and moons and stuff. So in, in the last minute here, before we let you go back on your vacation, you know, you, you've talked about what it was like for you, and we've mentioned that you're a very fine player. But we've both been in situations, and all three of us have been in tournaments before, and, and, you know, maybe not at this level, but we've all experienced some of those feelings. It's club championship season the next couple of months for a lot of people listening, or they start to playing now that fall is finally, you know, gone, um, and we're going to have summer at some point. What, what would you say would be a, a good learning for people listening from your experience um, at these games? Yeah, from from my experience and obviously from a professional perspective, the way I, I look at it is players either really love to try and compete to win and they can use that competitive drive to win to focus more on their process or players can get distracted by their competitive drive to win and it can actually take them away from their process. And so it's a pretty rare thing that that kind of first natural competitor who just thrives under that pressure and actually makes them focus more on the right kinds of things. Um, I think for, for us mere mortals, and as you heard earlier, I'm just as mortal as everyone else. Uh, that idea of going more into just kind of rolling with the punches and saying, you know what, I want to win. And obviously I'm here to win or I'm here to place top five or top 10, but I'll survive if I don't. And using that acceptance and using that ability to say, I'm okay with whatever's going to happen to then to go out and just try and hit great golf shots. And this is what I said on our last time visit when we were on here is you've got to ask yourself, what does it take for me to hit a great golf shot? The little magical formula recipe, whatever you want to call it and learn what that is for you. And then the more you're okay with the outcome, 
the more you can put energy and focus into that process of hitting those great golf shots, especially in those critical moments. And so however you need to do it, you just need to find a way to understand what your little recipe is for yourself and then put as much focus and effort into that at that moment as you can and then roll with whatever happens after that. Um, Charles, that is awesome stuff there, Charles. Charles Aloysius Fitzsimmons. I say Aloysius, to you, really? I say to you, I, we got to get going here. We got to go to our break, but uh, have a great rest of your uh, vacation. We'll see you soon. Uh, thanks for taking some time with us this morning, and congratulations once again, my brother. Yeah, congratulations, man. Way to go. Thanks, guys, for having me on. It, it's uh, an absolute honor and a pleasure always to be with you, and uh, to be crowned uh, national champion is a a pretty special honor. So I'm going to go and enjoy my time. I'm up in Belfast right now and uh, having a great time touring around with my brother. So well, look at it this way. You're, that. you're a national champion and you're the, the distinct uh, honor of having come back on our show faster than anybody else in its history. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. And e- equally enjoyed uh, uh, accomplishments there. All right, son. Uh, Tim O'Connor is going to come back. We're going to come back and tell the story of uh, one of the... Well, his his team did amazing. But when Timmy comes back, we'll tell the story of uh, the individual female champion uh, and uh, how she overcame so much to do so well. It's Swing Thoughts. Uh, great to be with you uh, around the world at uh, on the iTunes. Uh, you can get us there as well as TSN 1150. Competition in other places. And uh, welcome back uh, here on TSN 1150. Great to be with you on the Canadian Open weekend, not far from uh, the uh, Funny 820 TSN studios in Hamilton is the Hamilton Golf and Country Club. Uh, My name's Humble Howard along with Tim O'Connor. Hey, have you ever played that golf course? A couple times, yeah. Yeah. It is an amazing golf course for sure, up and down beautiful the, the and the players love it yeah. because it's so different than the usual kind of you know most of them are kind of residential type golf courses and this is just ah oh, immaculate yeah it's a beautiful property i've been uh, hanging out there the last uh, year a little bit uh, hitting some balls with uh, scott Cowks, famous uh, golf teacher mackenzie hughes's golf teacher so i've been to the golf course i've never played the golf course and i've always wanted to be part of they have an invitational there and i uh I, I I made a few uh, emails and I asked if I could get in and I got into the Please. tournament and I was invited to the Invitational and it's on the same day as the Senior Am qualifier. So I will not be playing there, but I will be watching it. I did want to run something by you. Did you know, I didn't know this, that first of all, there's lots of Canadians obviously playing in the Canadian Open, but we have more guys right now on the PGA Tour with full status than we've ever had before. I was aware of that. Yes, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's awesome. But I think it speaks to perhaps um, maybe some Mike Weir yeah. influence. You know, he wins the Masters there. I think that was, what, 2003 Three. Three or so? Yep. Yeah. So maybe the young guys like the Mackenzie Hughes and the, uh, Sloans and Pendriths, et cetera, um, there's some influence there, um, but also no. That's a good point. A lot of the development programs that have come come along. Uh, the Golf Can has done some amazing stuff with uh, their amateur teams. Um, the Future Links program. 
um, there's a lot of benefits that are uh, coming to fruition now, and we're seeing those now. Speaking of, uh, well, I, we have a good friend, Sean Casey, at Glen Abbey, who you work with. And um, I was hanging out with Sean a couple weeks ago for lunch. And then he's got a bunch of kids, elite players, or a development program for kids. Guys like him are developing the next sort of generation of great Canadian golfers. Anyway, the point is that afternoon I happened to play nine holes at a different golf course, and I ran into one of his kids. I played with one of his kids. Just amazing, you know. It's just I, I, I play a lot of golf with good players, but this kid's 18 years old, skinny, just oh, yeah. a skinny little bugger. And I was telling Sean after, I mean, I, I was so unfamiliar with the part of the sky at the <laughs> golf ball. <laughs> Like I was going to ask, could you play at a strip ball between where your ball landed and his? It wasn't just how much. Listen, like I said, I play with good players all the time. Guys that hit it further than me all the time. But this kid hit it not just further, but in a different area of the world. Like at stratosphere. Yeah. When we teed off in the first hole at, at, at Rattlesnake, I went off before him, and I hit it pretty good. That, that particular drive, I hit it very well. But then I watched him hit it. And I was sort of kind of looking as to where my ball might be. And his was like 40 feet higher. And I thought, oh, maybe he skied it. <laughs> he just skied it 40 yards by me. But but I, I my point is that there's so many great girls and boys uh, in development in this country. And it's great. By the way, that number is 10. We have 10 players with uh, exempt status on the PGA Tour. I don't think that's ever happened. Speaking of young women, tell the story, Coach Tim. Uh, Tim's the uh, coach of the Guelph Griffins uh, National or uh, University golf team. Just played at the Nationals with Charles, but but your friend, your friend, your um, player, Sarah Dunning, tell us about her experience. Yeah, um, well, Sarah is an awesome player. Uh, she won the Ontario University Championship as an individual in uh, 2014. Uh, she helped lead uh, the University Blues women's team to, I believe it was five consecutive championships. What? And, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, she was obviously an anchor player there, a lot of strong players on that team. And so we were fortunate enough that, she, so she did her, her degree in mathematics at University of Toronto and decided then that she wanted to go into accounting. So she came to Guelph. And so very fortunate that she came here. And she played last year. She won, she won um, the one invitational she was able to play in, and she also came second in Ontario. So she asked for uh, to be exempted into the national championship, and in their wisdom, Golf Canada did. And so she got off not to a great start uh, last week. It's a four-round tournament. She shot 80, and uh, quite frankly, she kind of thought that she shot herself out of it uh, with that start. She didn't think that the UBC players – who were in the lead would would back up well but sarah just kept chipping away i believe her scores were something around um around 74 to 75 the rest of the week and so i she started the final round i believe four back or five back anyways she uh tours the front in 32 wow and she's just she's just playing solid you know she left some putts out there even too so she comes to the final hole one back Final hole is a par five. She pumps the drive out there, hits a seven iron for her second shot to about 35 feet. She's one back. 
and we're thinking uh, Greg Beal is my assistant coach. We're up there, and we're thinking, okay, getting ready for a playoff. She's going to two-putt from here. 35-footer, boom! Nice! So, so how does it, it doesn't get much better than that. Freaking Hollywood, man. Um, an eagle on the last hole to win by one. It was just awesome. And uh, I felt so proud of her. Um, she's, she's such a tenacious player. She really takes care of her business. Her routine didn't alter a bit all week. And um, just so proud and happy for Sarah. Isn't that something? Now, she's uh, obviously not thinking and turning pro. She wants to be in a – she has a, we're getting her second degree, so obviously she wants to go into business of some kind. But how does uh, – you know, why is it some people just have a certain proclivity for scoring – because lots of people can hit good shots, but not everyone's got a, you know, a sense of how to score. And, and you know, someone like her, yeah, she may start with 80, but, you know, she has better numbers within her. Where some people just never quite get there. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a number of things I think at play in her favor. One is she's, she's, um, she's very athletic. And she's strong. She's very strong. So she hits the ball out there a good ways. And she's got awesome technique. And she has worked on her game. She works really hard. She has great coaches. Mike Martz right now uh, is her coach. And he's been on this show. And she's also been coached by Ralph Bauer. She works on her game. Right. And she all, all facets of it. And I think it doesn't hurt that she's really smart. <laughs> She's really, really smart. Well, you know, sometimes, and we've said this before on the show, but it's an old, one of those old golf things that uh, good players are either really, really smart or really, really dumb. That's right. And yeah. and sometimes being kind of in between can, uh, you know, there's a lot of time in golf to think. And if you, you know, if you think too much, like a lot of us, you overthink things. It can kind of get in your way. The The point about being a little bit dumb is if you're sort of simple, you know, you don't overthink things, golf can be easy for you because you just hit a shot and you go hit it again. You yeah, know? it's like, yo, yo, yuck, yuck, dumb. I did my best. <laughs> That's and, right. And off we go. But one of the things that I noticed about Sarah is that her process from round one to that final green didn't alter a bit. And that's I'm going to connect to what uh, Charles was talking about is that and I witnessed it among particularly the, the male players, the players who were very competitive uh, looking to play, but they didn't have that sense of calmness or just that ability to keep themselves grounded. You, you could hear it. I could tell the guys who shot well and went, you know what? He doesn't have a chance because he's going to he's going to stuff's going to happen as happens in golf. He's going to lose his stuff. And so I witnessed that where that doesn't happen to Sarah. She accepts bad breaks and she just moves on, but she has the exact same putting routine, whether it's a casual round or, you know, an Eagle putt to win a national championship, just gives it an eye, gets up there, puts her putter behind the, the ball, no practice swing and just gives it that same pace for whether it's a short putt or a long putt and so she's fully earned this you know it wasn't like any kind of yes i use the word hollywood but you know it was just the way it came about but good players they just they create opportunities because they just keep knocking on that door and sometimes it opens and it was just amazing to watch that happen for sarah 
There's something about being well, not good players do this, but if you're a resilient player, yes, um, then you know. And we've t- you know we keep saying we've talked about this, but if you go back and listen to some of the shows, one of the great learnings of the of the three years we've been doing th- swing thoughts for I think a lot of people is the idea that you know if you keep on plugging away, you know when I when I, when I make a a twenty footer for a bogey. There's something about that. It does something to you. It confirms that you're not, yet you won't give up. And, and so those things become habitual because there's no guarantee that if you keep trying, good things will happen. But if you stop trying, there is a guarantee that nothing good will happen. And a lot of us, you know, I, I'm not, I would say in, I'm not in that category anymore, but there was a time when I was two bad swings away from the round being over. And a right. lot of people play golf like that, where even at a, on a casual basis, you have a couple of bad holes and you just basically mentally give up. And we've explained it. One of the reasons people do that is so that when they have a, a bad number at the end, they can kind of say to themselves, well, I really stopped trying, so it doesn't really count. But Exactly. I, or they get angry. So they they get I angry. wasn't trying. Yeah. So the, the, the point I'm trying to say is that someone like Sarah... Uh, Charles, uh, myself to a lesser degree in terms of my tournament play, you just the long if you can just hang in, you just need to hang in for your because golf will give it will give back. If you stop hanging in, golf will not give it back. It'll just be over. Yeah, my my dad used to say, uh, golf uh, golf giveth and taketh, but it mostly taketh. But- yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. It mo- the thing is, it mostly is. Well, we've talked about this also. It's a hard game. Charles and I Absolutely. laugh about it. We talk. He and I laugh about the idea that you know p- people will ask him or us or you and I, and the answer I always give now is it's a hard game. It's the well, hardest. It's the hardest. People, yeah, exactly. What people did you expect? Bad, people have a, a bad bounce. They go, "Well, that wasn't fair." And I said, "Fairness. You picked the wrong game. Exactly. If you're looking, if you're looking for fairness and justice and all of that." The, the thing that I think is we can fix a commonality among players like Sarah, Charles, people like yourself who compete at a high level is that just that love to compete, to be in a situation where it matters, where you feel nerves. Wow, that is awesome. Like my players, uh, I asked them before a couple of rounds, says, are you nervous? And they'll put their hands up and say, that's great. You're exactly where you need to be. You want to be in a position where you're nervous because it means you care and you're in contention. And the, But the key thing is, it's just being in that position to enjoy the competition. That's right. And every, that, there's pressure, all that. But as like Charles was saying, you can kind of accept, I'm okay with what happens. And you know what? So both of Sarah and Charles end up being national champions. You know what? The next day, they probably got up like by themselves. Was their world that much different than before? Had you know the challenges that they faced in their life? Had they gone away? No, they still have the same things. But it's so it's keeping some degree of perspective that allows us to get through these through through these things and enjoy the moment of competition. And and now to connect it to you know someone going out this weekend who's never broken 90 maybe and you know just wants to and maybe they're playing in a a tournament or something they want to experience the game at a different level you know 
what Tim was just saying, I, I love that because, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. The day after I won the club championship last year, I had, it, was, it was no different. I felt pretty good about it. But what I, what I knew was inside, inside me, I knew that I had prevailed even when things didn't look good. Even when things weren't going well, because I can tell you, and even in the best round of golf you're about to play, there will be moments when things don't go well. Last Wednesday, I've started playing a little bit. I've only played a couple times since our last show. But last Wednesday, I had to play in a tournament in a match with this couple things going on, and I made a couple of double bogeys, and I three putted a couple times. But I also made four birdies. But my favorite thing about making the birdies was I made them at the end. I, in fact, birdied the last two holes. I shot 75, cool. I shot 75, which is a decent score. Not my best score, but it was the way I shot it. My round yeah. was full of sloppy holes where I made, I had a couple of penalty shots. I hit a few out of, out of the, off the golf course. But even while all that chaos was going on, I was playing a match. I was playing in a, a stroke play event as well. So I had to hole out every shot. But what oh, I wow. loved about the round was I know inside that I could have given up. You know, I hit such a bad shot on the third last hole. I hit my third shot on a par five. I, I hit a good shot. I just, it just went further than I expected, and I was in a horrible situation. And I hacked it out onto the green, thirty feet, and made the putt for par. But I was. Nice. But the reason I loved it is I know I didn't give up. Yes. And and I can tell you from knowing Charles uh, personally, I don't know Sarah, but there's a satisfaction that comes with knowing win or lose that you just kept trying. And to the persons listening that might shoot eighty nine or 96 for the first time in their lives, I can promise you that you'll be, there's a satisfaction that comes from that that's different than your score. In the end, your score is just a number, but but what you take away from that feeling of, you know, I, I, I know I was, you know, there's a choice in every round. There's a choice of, shall I continue or should I just be a baby? <laughs> should, I just, should I just be a man baby? Because I've been the man baby. We, I, th I think most of us have uh, been. I, I tell a story in my um, the work, the Getting Unstuck workshops that I do of the time I was playing with my parents. And it was just really, really fortunate to be able to play with my parents at the club I grew up at, at the club they play at. And I hit two shanks in a row. And I took my, <laughs> I took my wedge and I whapped it against my golf bag. And the head of my driver just went, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm basically broke my golf club and I just felt horrible and uh, and in front and of your mom like, and dad too well I you know I hit it you know I, I was so <laughs> ashamed and angry I just I unzipped it and I threw it in the side pocket and I tramped over to the to the next tee and I'm just I'm going like should I go and I get this terrible I just oh I was just in a rage it was crazy and and so my mom comes over and uh, yeah we haven't seen you for a bit <laughs> <laughs> Where you been? Well, Mom, um, I broke my driver. That's nice, dear. <laughs> and she goes, well, you know, in her sweet mom way, she says, well, I guess we all do dumb things. Yes, That's it right. was. Anyways, what I'm connecting to is I realized shortly thereafter that the whole intention was just to spend time with my parents and my brother, Pat, have a good time. And so with that in mind, we had a great time, and oh, um, I shot thirty nine on the back. You know, because it was about it was about playing. It was about enjoying the experience, and I think that's what gets whether you're trying to break 
110 for the first time or you're trying to win a national championship it's being in the moment enjoying it you know uh, of just savoring that opportunity and sometimes things happen you know who knows like you know what if sarah had made that 35 foot putt and a bug suddenly came up or one of those whirly gigs off a tree and knocks it off line does that mean the whole thing's for naught no. that's right well so just a couple <laughs> quick things before we go um Again, and thanks to our friends at TaylorMade and Adidas. I think next week for our U.S. Open show, I'm, something tells me we were going to give away some stuff for the Canadian Open, but uh, I forgot. So I think next week we're going to have some We more. forgot. We forgot. We're a team here. Okay. All right. Easy there, pal. <laughs> so, uh, But next <laughs> week for the U.S. Open, we're going to give away some more TaylorMade Adidas stuff. But I wanted to give a, a couple of things for people that are not mental that are just um, physical, that I think, you know, just a reminder of the things that can help you save some strokes the next time you play. And one of the big ones for me, even at my level, is the, the, is the, is the, shot, the shots I don't give away. And those are three putts and two chips. So go and find somebody. If you're, not, if you're having trouble, when I, when I say two chips, if you're near a par four in two, whatever handicap you are, maybe you're not on the green, but your next ball, your intention should just be to get it on the green, and then maybe two putt, and then you make bogeys instead of doubles and triples. And we had talked about uh, the decade system, and one of the things he explained to us is it's not the birdies you make. It's the doubles and triples you don't make. It's the three putts that you avoid and the penalty shots. So all I'd say is this. There's a, there's a drill I've been doing for lag putting because lag putting is a thing that a lot of players at every level have trouble with, and that leads to three putting. But one, it's, it's just a drill I found. And I think uh, it's easy to do. You don't need any paraphernalia. You just need five golf balls, and you just call it a cluster drill. So you just throw one out 30 or 40 feet away, and the game is to see if you can get the other four balls as close to that cluster as possible. You're not putting to a hole. You're just putting to a feel. And I just I want to share that because if you don't three-putt, if you don't stub chips, and you don't get a lot of penalty shots, then you can just play sort of your normal game, whatever that is, and you'll shoot in the 90s. You'll break 100. You might get in the, the 80s without really doing much else. What do you say about that, Coach? Well, I want to say we were talking about people who are really smart, and sometimes <laughs> I, I don't think I'm the smartest knife, the sharpest knife in the drawer. I didn't quite get, and maybe what you're t- in terms of like you, you have five balls. Yes. Just, just repeat that process. I want to make sure people get it, and I get it. So you just, you, you just take the first ball and put it thirty or forty feet away. The idea okay. is to get the other four balls to cluster near that ball. Got it. Yeah. And so what I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll start with that and go 40-footers, then I'll do some 30-footers, and then I'll do some random 20-foot, 30-foot. But, but the first few times I sort of get ready for the speed of the greens is I'll just do this cluster drill. And I'm just telling you, it's just a nice way to feel speed versus trying to sink the, the ball. Because even, right. I, like I said, I, in the, you know, I played again in our little – men's night at Glen Karen last night and I had a decent score but it was I had a couple of three putts again and I had a couple of penalty strokes you know and I shot around the same number but I just wanted to remind everyone again it's not how many I made an eagle last night it doesn't matter it's just it it's just when you don't three putt 
and you don't make penalty shots, it will it will um, inform your score more than making birdies and lots of pars. That's all I'm trying to say. Is part of what you're doing in that drill is being. I got to think you're not necessarily technique oriented. You're not thinking about accelerate putt head, keep no. head still, or anything like that. But also, is it more of a of a thing of just sort of like watching the ball react on the green and just sort of like being op- like in a non judgmental way, just seeing how the ball is reacting and moving? Well, I mean that's part of it for sure. There's no there's no uh, the only the only outcome is to see. It's like throwing a, a a rolled up ball into a waste paper basket. You're just trying to get your feel for distance. And whatever yeah, that's hey, really that's re- there's so much value in that. Instead I would of say trying to make a putt. You exactly. know, is it successful or is it not successful? And that's what most people do on a practice screen. Oh they yeah. And it doesn't generally set them set themselves well up for the round. And as far as like again, I would get with somebody if you're having trouble with your chipping, which is another thing that contributes to extra shots. You know, you don't need to get every shot near the hole. You just need to make sure you don't double chip something, which happens to a, a lot of higher handicap players. So the idea is pick a conservative target on the green. Just make sure and do whatever you have to do. Put it. Put it off the green. Get it on the green is the point so that you make bogeys. Because I'll tell you what, like last night, it was a, it was a terrible day to play and raining. Yeah, another rainy another day. Another rainy day. And I didn't make one double. I, I sort of kept my, my trouble down to a bogey. And even though I didn't, you know, shoot even par, I, I was sort of going, okay, cool. I avoided making big numbers on a tough day. Uh, Tim O'Connor, what's your, uh, what's your, how do people get a hold of you? O'ConnorGolf.ca. Yeah, baby. Well, uh, you just do that Google thing, but what about uh, what about you? HumbleAndFred.com? Google me, man. HumbleAndFred at HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Uh, O'Connor and I will be back next week. We promise we'll be uh, you know more prepared in terms of the giveaways. Um, uh, what else? You can uh, get back episodes of our show on uh, the iTunes. And gee, you can get a hold of Timmy. He will uh, he'll coach you. It's good times. Yeah, and, and folks, um, if, you, if you're not subscribed to us on iTunes, do that. Yeah. It'll just come right to your phone and, uh, you know, review us and look at us on Facebook. That's we right. post a lot of cool stuff on there. And, um, yeah, we've got a lot of cool stuff social media-wise. Program is brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas, and uh, thanks to our friends at Bushnell. We'll see you next week, everybody. Tank, bye. When you hear the music ring. Step inside, but you don't see too many faces.